Hey guys, Eric here, and I want to talk to you real quick about the dailydownforce.com. Every day, this website covers the latest news and trends in NASCAR, from silly season right through the checkered flag in Phoenix. Need a new morning routine as soon as you wake up? Well, now you have it, dailydownforce.com. This is the website I use to keep up with the industry, the drivers, and of course, what the community is talking about. And speaking of community, dailydownforce.com is also home to some of your other favorite NASCAR content creators. Plus, they've got all sorts of information that I like to keep bookmarked, like schedules, penalties, ratings, and everything you want to know. Oh, and be sure to check out the merch shop while you're there to find some exclusive diecasts and collectibles. So check out dailydownforce.com, that's dailydownforce.com, and I'll see you in the replies. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at polepositionmag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item, backed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They yeah. had been, they had been yeah. around the block a time or two. What's so, the first deal they built, I bet? No, no. You know, you, I think they were, they had, the, the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this, this souped-up car, and he, he complained that the government gave him these piece-of-crap, cheapo cars and that, that were really no match, but he thought he was doing pretty good. And then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappeared. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And it, it, as he said, it was a game of chicken and I was a chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually he was the guy who, who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy still when Junior got tangled up in a, in a barbed wire fence. <laughs> So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. I said I wasn't going to go racing. Mac Martin said, if you're not going to be my crew chief, I'm going to shut the doors down. Yep, he walked over. Looked in the car, said he'd drive it. He said, reached in his pocket, pulled out this um, little cigarette lighter, the push, old school push button lighter with two wires hanging out of it, and asked if I'd put it in the dash. People ask me all the time about who the best people are, you know, drivers I work with or whatever. And, you know, I work with Mark Martin. Obviously, that's an easy one. Ernie Irvin, that's an easy one. The one that people won't know is how good that kid was going to be. Cheney, dude. The day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget its past, that's the day we don't have any future. Hello, everyone. I'm Steve Wade. And my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault podcast presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing show place and a track that truly cares about NASCAR history. So the National Motorsports Press Association Awards Banquet was yesterday on Sunday. And well, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hear you blank there, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> My stories on LW Wright did not win anything in the feature division. And we got shut out in the podcast category as well. Now, <laughs> Honestly, I kind of expected that on the podcast and I'm okay with it because the only ones that are ever recognized seem to be more scripted documentary right. type shows or that are more breaking news oriented. Yeah. The way we play it, we have our guests on here, figures from the past, figures that we think our listeners want to hear from, and we just do our interviews. We don't write any scripts or anything, right, Rick? We may not be on the radar of the NMPA judges, but that's fine as long as we can keep producing the kind of content that our listeners that's enjoy. The, the listeners are our judges. I think they enjoy what we do. The encouragement and the, the input that we get certainly seems to indicate that. However, the LWRI stories. Yeah. Yesterday, I was spun out, turned all the way over, and plowed completely through the retaining wall. <laughs> I was ticked off. <laughs> you were, Rick. I heard you use words that I never thought you would use. <laughs> well, thank you for pointing that out. I did use language with you that was decidedly unchristlike. And, and Steve, in all seriousness, bottom line, I do apologize to you for that. I hope you know that it wasn't anything, you know, intentional. I was just frustrated. 
at, well, in Rick, the moment. I, Rick, I do understand. And let me assure you, you didn't say anything that 99.9% of the entire population hasn't said at one time or another. Okay? Steve, you want to know who did the judging for this competition? All right, I'll bite. The judges were from App State, where Adam and Jesse go. <laughs> oh, I did not know that. I started to call them up and go, pack your bags, boys, you're coming home. <laughs> but Steve, I really did see those two stories as my last best shot ever to take home a first place from the NMPA. And my anger yesterday has now settled into disappointment. I'm always going to be disappointed about that one. I've not won awards before, but the LW Wright story, it's, it's been different. Let's just sure. say that I have found out the hard way that you can't fight city hall. And there's been a lot of stuff on top of the story that has happened behind the scenes. It's just been unlike anything I have ever experienced in my entire career. Well, Rick, I can understand that. But remember this. There is a future. You always will have another chance. You never know, Rick. Here's the flip side of the coin. As I was driving home yesterday, it hit me. There I was fuming over not winning a trophy. And exactly one week earlier, exactly one week earlier, Ryan Pemberton had died. And my hurt feelings are nothing compared to what Ryan's family has experienced, not only last week, but in the last few years as well. Robin and Roman Pemberton have lost their brothers, Ryan and Randy, and Robin lost his son yeah. a year or two ago. Yeah. You can just imagine what that family has been through. I'm telling you, Rick, compared to the troubles that you and I think we have, that's nothing of what they have had to endure. Recognition from the NMPA or anybody else for that matter, doesn't mean anything. True. Doesn't mean anything when you compare it to that. So listeners in our first segment with all that out of the way, we're going to treat this episode and the next, just like we did last week's installment of the conversation with Ryan, we're going to run the interview and then we're going to come back with a short farewell and that will be it. Uh, Steve, I, that's just, I just feel like that's the most appropriate way to handle this situation. Certainly we've never faced anything like that before, no. but I, I, it just wouldn't feel right to laugh and, and act silly. Like we always do here on the show. This is just a time to remember, Ryan. Well, I think you're a hundred percent right, Rick. This shows respect to Ryan and his family. And at the same time, we get to give our listeners something that's going to be truly unique. In other words, they get to hear Ryan as if he's there with them. I think that's pretty cool. And then last night, Steve, Deb Williams yeah. was inducted into the National Motorsports Press Association Hall of Fame. She's one of only a handful of journalists to be so honored. She's the first female journalist to be inducted into the National Motorsports Press Association Hall of Fame. Well, I'm really, really proud of Deb. I worked with her for, golly, two decades, and she is a great reporter. And I tell you, some of the stories that Deb did over the years 
you are talking about some hard-hitting news, and you're talking about some one-of-a-kind features. And given all that, Rick, there's no doubt she deserves to be in the NMPA Hall of Fame. And we did talk to Deb when she was first elected to the NMPA Hall of Fame. That was a few months ago. And here's a clip from our conversation. I didn't go to Chicago, so I was sitting at home that Friday before the Chicago street race, nursing the cold, and Kelly Crandall called. Well, I thought Kelly was just calling to give me an update on the Chicago street course race since that's where she was. And we chatted for a few minutes about what had happened there. And then I said, what can I do for you? And she said, no, it's what I can do for you. And I said, what? And she informed me then that I had been elected to the National Motorsports Press Association Hall of Fame. And I couldn't believe it. I, I still can't. It seems surreal. It doesn't seem real at all. And when you look at who I'll be going in with would be Daddy Don Gartlitz and Harley Haywood and Johnny Rutherford. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine anything like this. As you look back on your career, you will be the first female journalist member of the NMPA Hall of Fame. Well, I hadn't even thought of that. Janet Guthrie and I believe Shirley Muldowney, mm-hmm. you're the first female journalist. What does that mean to you? Well, that hadn't even uh, occurred to me. Uh, It's just like somebody mentioned to me a few months ago that I was the first female to cover NASCAR on a regular basis for an international wire service, and that had never occurred to me. Um, Gee, I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, That's stunning. That's quite an honor. And, uh, you know, I think back to when... Ken Squire and Doc Mattioli went into the NMPA Hall of Fame. That particular night, Patty Wheeler inducted Ken Squire, and I inducted Doc Mattioli. And that night, Patty and I were the first two women that had ever inducted anyone into the NMPA Hall of Fame. But, um, gee, that's unimaginable. <laughs> what you just said, I, I, it had never even occurred to me. And. Listen, we've got Patreon, we've got PayPal, we've got Venmo. You guys know that. You know about the support. I just don't feel like that's appropriate either to be talking about those kinds of things. But we do need to give a little reminder. This show is not affiliated in any way with American City Business Journal's owner of the same brand. Nineteen ninety two you won the Daytona five hundred. Yeah. How big a deal was that to you? Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Uh or was that it, just another race? It, it kinda at that time it was almost like another race. And only because like there's like so many good things were happening all the time, you're like it wasn't that race. It was what was gonna be the next race. Yeah. You know what I mean? Had that yeah. had yeah. that had that feeling, um, and that was what's pretty. That was really cool. Uh, I mean, I, I'll, in a quick story. Like I'll never forget. Like we were walking through the garage area. We totally rebuilt the front end of that car. Like that morning of the Daytona 500, I remember walking across the garage area, holding the center link and the tie rods and the steering uh, steering arm, and just hauling it across the garage and to bolt on completely different things on the car. And then you just go like, that, that's not a signs of a good day. That, yeah, I mean, yeah. you're looking at like, 
if you saw that as a competitor, you'd be like, oh, meat. <laughs> yeah, like they're yeah. they're done. Yeah. Right. That would be what that would equate to. And then you go win the race. That's kind of like that's kind of like saying like, what's next? That whole season was like that. The what's I mean? Well, what could happen next in 1992? That I'm going to be honest with you. I I think somebody should write a book about Robert Yates Racing, 1992, three and four. Yeah, you were there for 92. Mm-hmm. How did you manage to keep going despite everything that happened? I mean, David got hurt at Bristol. He got hurt at. Um, well, he got hurt everywhere. Yeah. Well, he, I don't know if he ever got healed back up. He got Well, he got hurt to Winston. Pocono. Pocono. That Pocono one was, I mean, that whole week up to, we, I think we came back at Talladega the following week. Like all, those couple weeks, they were unbelievable. Uh, what do you remember about the wreck? Obviously, well, you couldn't see it. No, we couldn't see it. Yeah, TVs weren't like they are these days. Um you know, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of wrecks that happened back then. Like, guys just didn't get hurt a whole lot, right? I mean, they probably did, and we didn't know it, right? And we can talk about some other things when drivers got hurt and they keep racing, and we don't know it until too late, yeah. right? Yeah. But that that whole race, like, oh, he wrecked, and then you realize, like, okay, they, they, you know, had to, he's in the hospital, right? We clean up our stuff. And we go to the hospital afterwards, and uh, it was one of the craziest things. And it's kind of like my memory of of Davey and how cool he was and how funny he was. And we go to the hospital. We're waiting. And it's like Joey Knuckles, Raymond Fox, myself, Larry, Doug. Uh, I don't know if Doug was there. Robert, for sure. And... Uh, we're kind of waiting to you know get an update, and uh, they came out and said, "Hey, you want to, guys want you know? Hey, you want to go back and see him?" I'm like, "I don't know if I, I want to go back to see him, you know." And so, so a couple people will go in, and if I'm not mistaken, a couple guys go in because it's a small room. I mean, it was you know Larry and Larry and Robert, and so I think it's just Raymond and myself, and maybe even Larry sitting in the waiting room. And uh, they tell us we can go back and see him. So we're walking through the hall, and I'm kind of like, we're kind of looking in one room, the next room, trying to figure out where, where he might be. We walk past this door, and I look in. I go, well, that's, you know, obviously not him. I kept going, and I hear him. He, he said, Ryan, Raymond. <laughs> and I'm, I was looking around like, where'd that come from? Like, that's not the guy that... that <laughs> yeah, wow. His face was so swollen. He he looked like a, he he looked like a three hundred pound guy, and he's just you know Davey might have been ninety pounds right. He's a skinny little guy. <laughs> yeah. And his mustache was was sticking straight out like uh, because of, he was swelled up. I didn't recognize. Obviously, we recognized his voice, and he was like, "Hey man, come in." Like if you didn't see him and you only listened to him, you go, "Hey, he's wow, he's he's good to go." You know, um, and uh, you know his eyes were red, but not like. You know, they eventually got really yeah, red. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, so th- that whole team's been through so much at that point in the time, even up until then. And then, uh, you know, you kind of go back, like, okay, regroup. What's, what's going to happen next, right? And then then he says he wants to he wants to run. We did the old 
Talladega thing, which um, which I think is well documented. And yeah. People, you know, we can go through that if you want. Yeah, but, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know, tape him in the car and Velcro, yeah. and he yeah. gets in and gets back out. Uh, Bobby Hillen, no, mm-hmm. Bobby Hillen drove the first part of it, and Davey gets in, like, or out. Um, that's this real crazy stuff. There was so much crazy stuff happening back then, and it just wide open. Like that was kind of the norm. You know what I mean? It's kind of just seemed like back then that maybe even just maybe it's more just for for us, but in, as Yates in particular. But in racing in general, there was so much stuff going on that that's just the level of uh, of excitement <laughs> that was going on in the sport back then. Then Clifford got killed. In August, mm-hmm. then you won at Phoenix. You go into the last race of the year at Atlanta as the point leader. Mm-hmm. Were you counting your championship money? No, I, 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 w- I was not. I was, I was not. Um, I just felt like, yeah, I mean. I, I like I like other sports, and I just feel like as you're in the game, you know, yeah. it's it's late in the fourth quarter, and you got a little lead. Like it's time to execute. That's kind of how I felt. It's kind of you know, I always felt kind of like that my whole career. Like when it's time to do it, do it. So, but there was a lot of stuff going on. We had a lot, uh, lots of things to overcome, and we over we'd overcome them, and that's just what you did. And I think they were. It was probably different for me than it was to other guys for sure. Did you see the accident with Ernie? No. You know, back then it was hard to even watch the race. I mean, yeah. especially if, you know doing the things I was doing. It's like there's no time to even look up. Okay. Um, uh, you know, sometimes I had to go over the pit wall and go like, you know, ask me, "Hey, what's going on?" You know. Like, yeah. yeah. And then you go back to work. You know. Now you wound up at Kyle Petty's yeah. uh, team Sabco, yeah. uh, Felix Sabatis, in '93. How'd that come about? At, at that point in time, um, I, I was wanting to probably have more responsibilities than what I was doing at at um, Yates. Um, you know, I, I was a mechanic. You know, I did almost all the front suspension every week. Uh, you know, I helped set up helped set up the cars. Not a lot, um, but that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be yeah. more involved with with that kind of thing. Um, Were you already thinking crew chief, or did that come? No, later? no. I, I was. Okay. Think, I, I had. I, I still had, didn't think I was even close to that. Um, but I wanted more opportunity to do different things. Um, Robin had a position open at Sabco, and at that time, Felix was. Being, you know, Felix was a good guy. Kyle was a good guy. They're having a riot. They're having fun. Yeah. And um, it looked like a great place to go. And an opportunity to meet for me to do maybe be have more responsibility, and so like look like a big time and, <laughs> and more responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Felix was you know pretty flamboyant at the time, and uh, just like like something like, hey, this this is this is what I want to do, and um, so that's how I got to how I got to Petty's, or I mean to Felix's. All right. And working with Kyle was, you know, you know, it was a riot, right? Um, Davey was funny, and Kyle was equally funny in a completely different way. If that makes sense. So, um, but it, it was it was a good time. 
So, again, tell me a good Kyle Petty story. What was mm-hmm. it like to work with Kyle Petty during the Yanni days? Well, he definitely was taking the sport in a different direction. I mean, he was really leading um, – he was really leading the character, the popularity p- portion of the sport. I mean, he was doing it in a different way than – you know, Dale Earnhardt Sr. was doing it, or yeah. Rusty was doing it, like completely. You know, his character, his, I say character, but I guess you could call it character. His personality, um, it was just, you know, at the, for a while there, it was just a damn riot to be around him. He was fun, relaxed, and could go fast, which, you know, usually um, that was a, a, probably a unique blend back then, but. I, I think some of the funniest stuff was probably when he did the. There's a little video he did the Hey Buddy tour, I think it was called. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and he traveled around and with his camera, we went up to. I don't know. We went testing. Went to New Hampshire. We did all kinds of fun things. And he had this camera out wherever he went, and he was pretty. He was pretty confident and relaxed back then, which some of these things that you see, you didn't know us then. You know, you know it now, yeah, right? Because yeah. you're like, oh, that was when somebody's got a lot of confidence and feeling good about things. Uh, we go and win Pocono by, a, a, I don't know how much, yeah. a half a lap, maybe more. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. and he was he was just rolling, talking all the way down the front straightaway, telling stories every time he comes by. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's how cool he was, and just checked out was, you know, mul- several tenths faster than second place. And he gets out of the car with his video camera and he's yeah. and uh, doing that thing. So that's not the funny story. That's not the cool story. It's it's in general that's the cool story. Okay. Like that's yeah. just kind of the cool things that um, to see it all. You know, be able to pull all it together. You know, you don't know where he's at. He's gone riding his Harley and he shows up and gets in the car and and uh, and and does his thing. It's pretty cool. It was Robin there. Yep. At that time? He was a crew chief. Now, his, was he the one that hired you? Yes. Okay. So did you feel ready yeah. to work for him again? Yeah. Okay. I, I felt at that time that I I, you know, knew what I was doing, and I could be um, – I would never have gone back there if I didn't think I could be – it couldn't be a huge asset to him, right? I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't do that to my brother. I, yeah. I, I mean, I realize that I have uh, acquired enough – I, I, enough skills and a confident in enough of them that I can go be uh, significant to them. So that's that's kind of that's why I went there. So you worked there ninety three, ninety four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then you moved over to become Larry Pearson's crew chief. That's right. In the Bush series, I talked to Larry a year or so ago for the podcast, and he told me a great story about how David would spot for him. Uh huh. And David would get to giving too many instructions, and so Larry would give him a dead radio. I I, I have heard that story. Okay. And uh, and uh, and I believe all of it. <laughs> you know, Larry was Larry was a good guy. We had a we um, we we had some fun. Ran ran well. Won a few races. Yeah, it was good times. Okay. It was my first chance to be a crew chief. So I think that was like 95, uh-huh. if I'm not mistaken. Um, worked really hard. And, um, 
you know, really, really, really hard at, over the over the winter to get ready for the season, and um, I think that really paid off for us going forward. We, um, you know, we started off the season pretty well, and you know, back then it was really tough because there wasn't a there wasn't a limit on uh, a cup drivers driving in the Bush Series, so you had you had to put up with Rusty, Terry, Mark. Yeah, of course, Mark. You had to put yeah. up with him, right? You know. Um, th- those those are the guys that would go. You know, you got you got to beat those guys. On top of being a small bush bush team back then, you had to go. You had to go. You had to beat some of the best in the world. Was the job of crew chief better than you expected? Worse than you expected? Or pretty much on the mark? All of it. <laughs> um, all yeah, all of it. Um, you know, there's so many different. You know passes to it you can you know, I, I like to talk about sports a lot being a team player a leader that type thing and that's you know that plays part in in motorsports as much as any um you know any other sport like it's just it's hard to it's hard to explain even though it's you know it's a mechanical it's a physical yeah, like yeah. you know what I mean? it, it, but being able to lead and um and and Help people grow and build a program. I mean, that's, uh, I think that's all the great parts about being a crew chief, you know, being able to do all those things and, uh, and competing, right? So you went to the Bush series when you worked with Larry. Did you see that as any kind of demotion or was it what you thought you needed to do in order to become a crew chief? Yeah, I thought that's what I needed to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I needed to, um, you know, to be able to, to be able to lead. I mean, everybody can't be leaders, right, on right. your team, right? And and I think that was just a good opportunity for me to, you know, um, to, you know, to lead, to be able to almost test yourself, really. I mean, it's hard to say that. Like, how do you how do you test yourself? Yeah. It's easier to do in other sports, right? You can say yeah. how fast you run, how high yeah. you can jump. Yeah. But like, yeah. doing it um, uh, in, in, in racing, like you gotta you gotta you gotta be able to do it. And um, and I think those are the things that you want to test yourself, see if you can kind of if you're if you're good at it. And I think that's what that was. That whole whatever two years was was that. How did you wind up over at MB two? So now, were you the crew chief when you went over there? Yeah. <clears throat> so it was uh, when I decided to, when I got an opportunity to start MB2 racing. Um, it was Jay Fry contacted me, um, and there was this uh, Morton Beard and Bowers MB2 is how it was called. Wanted to start a race team. They had connections with with uh, Mr. Hendrick. Um, and uh, so they wanted to start this race team. Jay Fry contacted me, asked me if, if I'd be interested, and we talked through it for for a while, and uh, decided that that's what I was going to do. Um, and we were going to start the season. I don't even think we had a driver named yet, but I told um, Mac Martin, who was the owner of of, uh, of the Stanley Tools team with with Larry, I told him that hey, at the end of the season, uh, you know. Um, next year, I'm going to be doing going cup racing, and we had just built a new building in Mooresville, North Carolina, right around the corner. From Mac had Mac Martin, yep. Yeah, and um, 
just built a new building, a new shop. It was probably not even a year, year old. Um, great shop for for Bush Series racing. It was a great shop. Um, and uh, I said I wasn't going to go racing. Mac Martin said, if you're not going to be my crew chief, I'm going to shut the doors down. And uh, Did he really? And I I said, hey, I'll, I'll help you. I'll go, you know, finish out the year and and help you out that way. So I did that, and no one else going to do something else. But we didn't have a building yet. We didn't have people. We had nothing. It was Jay Fry, the owner group, and myself. And at the last minute, I was loading up my toolbox with no place to go, starting this new team. Didn't know where we were going. And uh, Mac Martin said he would – Leaves me to building if we wanted to uh, start a race, put a race team there. Yeah, I'm like, hey, if you're sure you're not going to go racing, we'd love to start our race team here, and that's what we did. So built this building, went bush racing, transferred it over to MB2 Motorsports, and that's where we started. And and took all the all the people with me. Uh, so my the Stanley Tools team, Mac Martin's team, the five or six guys that I had, we all just moved right into the Cup Series. So it was a that part of the transition was kind of cool to be able to bring all those guys with you. So Ernie obviously had been hurt in '94, and he made a just a spectacular comeback. Uh, but then at Michigan again, he gets hurt again, uh, driving a bush car, practicing a bush car. Yep. What do you remember about that day? Now was he in your car at that time? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, it, 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 as fast as news like that travels, it still didn't travel as fast as you think as it does these days, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, so you hear about it, you, you don't know how bad he's hurt, what the significance of it was. Like, you know, those things you didn't know until you go physically talk to him or see yeah. him, you know? Yeah. But as a job as a crew chief, that's not my, you know, hey, this guy got hurt. What I got to make a plan right, right away. And, um, you know, got a race team to run. I got, you know, so um, I hate to see, sound cold like that, but that's yeah. that's just how that how that was. You know, you, you go to the next, hey, the driver's hurt. Got to get another driver. Got to do whatever you can. We got Dick Trickle to drive that week, weekend. And uh, so um, that was a... That was the a great experience, and I could share that experience with you. But it's exactly the same as everybody else has ever worked with. Dick It's the coolest thing. <laughs> he does, does this thing. He he wanted to put the cigarette lighter in the car and and uh, and go Did race. Did you? Yep. You put the cigarette lighter. Yep. yep. He walked over, looked in the car, said he'd drive it. He said, reached in his pocket, pulled out this um, little cigarette lighter, the push. Old school push button lighter with two wires hanging out of it, and asked if I'd put it in the dash. And I was like, "That's all it takes. That's all it takes." Yeah. <laughs> that was his negotiating yeah. tactic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. And it was, you know, that's that's awesome to have guys. You know, that, that that's how that was back then. These older veteran guys. I mean, it was literally not much of a question. You go, "Hey, Dick," you know. Ernie's hurt. We don't know if he's going to be able to go. Would you go? And you're like, yeah, okay. And then you go do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, That's it, uh, it's much more complicated these days. But yeah, it was. Uh, 
it was it was uh, that happened that quick. So you go to Richmond with Jerry Nadeau. Yeah. Take me through that day. Well, so in general, we're we're really running well. Um, the stats probably don't show it, but the, the speeds there, we're we're being competitive. You know, we're, you know. Obviously, there's still the the, the Roush and, and Childress and Yates and and um, uh, Kendrick. You know, you got those are the teams you got to be. You know, Rusty and those guys. But we were just right there where we're we're being competitive every week and feel like it's just a matter of time before we really start having some really good things happen for us. So, uh, so yeah, we had a lot of confidence going into. Um, Going into Richmond, or that at that time, and uh, so we go practice, and um, you know back then we practice multiple times a day, right? You know, probably four or five different practice sessions in a weekend. Yeah, at least three. So we go out and practice, and we're really good, and we're one of the fastest cars there. I'd like to say I think we we're probably the fastest car there at the time. Rusty Wallace was. That was kind of his track, right? Yeah. Rusty was, Rusty was always really good at Richmond, and um, and so we go out and practice. We just blew Rusty's doors off in practice, like made him pit, right? He's gonna pit, put another set of tires on, type. Um, you know, we were feeling really good about things. So Jerry pulls in the garage. We talk for a minute, and I ask, you know, ask him regular questions. How's this? How's that? And he says, good, everything's good. And there's still like 30 minutes left in practice. And uh, he's like, nope, we're good. And at that time, as confident as we were in how we were doing, we weren't confident enough to park it. We weren't, the, we weren't that. If Rusty or Mark or somebody like that parks the car with 15 minutes left in practice, it's because they could, right? We couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. That would look really bad on us if we just decided we were so good we didn't need to finish out the practice session. So I asked him to go out and run 10 more laps and give me a tire sheet. And we'll just kind of finish out the practice session. And he goes out there and probably lap six, he uh, spins out and hits the wall. That was a bad day. That was a bad day. Um... I, I don't know. People ask me all the time about who the best people are, you know, drivers I work with or whatever. And, you know, I work with Mark Martin. Obviously, that's an easy one. Ernie Irvin, that's an easy one. The one that people won't know is how good that kid was going to be, Jane Adu. And he didn't get a chance to finish it out, you know. So I still talk to him every now and then. He's doing great. But, um, yeah, that was a sad day. How hard was that for you to process? Yeah, that was really hard. Harder than any of the other ones. And we just got to have a really good relationship. Um, he was a f- great to be around. He could, he could go fast. Yeah, like it was just, I felt like we were kind of growing up together. You know what I mean? And we're still relatively the younger guys out in the in the garage area. That that type thing. So. Um, yeah, that one was that one was pretty that one was tough, and you know, 
So we wreck. Had to bring out a backup car. You don't know really about his status. Don't know. You know, you you get a, you can tell that it's not great, yeah. right? Um, but we got to get ready to race, right? So um, look around, try to find somebody I can get put in the car, and put um, Jason Leffler in the car. Not Jason Leffler. Uh, Jason Keller. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Put Jason Keller in the car, and because uh, he was going to go Cup racing the next year, I believe, or that he was contemplating that. And um, I had to find somebody from the Bush series, obviously. Yeah. So we um, get him an opportunity to 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 race. But it was uh, it was a hard one to race when you knew that that your that your uh, driver and your buddy was you know not in great condition. This podcast has been brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. And once again, condolences to the Pemberton family and rest in peace, Ryan. And to close out this week, I'm going to go with one of my favorite gospel songs of all time. Adam and Jesse and their buddies, Zach Hicks and Charlie Smithers singing Amazing Grace.
God.